Hello, and welcome to the Emmy Awards. I'm your host, Emmy Cardinale, and this is my podcast where I talk about what I've been watching or rewatching once a week. If this is the first episode of mine that you stumble upon and you enjoy it, please feel free to follow me wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get notified when I upload. And if this is one of your first few episodes, or maybe you've been here for a while and you haven't reviewed, rating and review is always rating. And reviewing is always really great and helpful. I guess. I don't really know. That's just what I hear other podcasters say. So I figured I should too. I am hoping this episode won't be out too late on Sunday. But I gotta be honest. I'm recording this at like 11. No, it's like almost midnight <laughs> on Friday, on Saturday. And I meant to record this earlier. But I just had a rough work day. I work Saturdays. So I just like, I. it took me a while to to decompress after work and even want to record and hopefully the audio is okay i'm like laying down when i record this i normally sit up and talk straight into the microphone but i'm not feeling great so sorry this is a lackluster episode so this episode i'm going to talk about the bachelor the first episode of vanderpump rules season 11 and the most recent episode of the traders there will be timestamps in the description so if you don't watch either any of those shows or you only watch one or you watch two whatever the case may be you can hop around for what you want to listen to if anything what else do i have to say i'm gonna go in order in in my brain this made sense i'm gonna go in order of in the order that the episodes aired so i'm gonna start with the bachelor do vanderpup and end with the traders timestamps will be in the description though so don't worry and i'm gonna be doing this for the foreseeable future until any of those shows end and maybe with maybe with a break in between percy jackson the first season just ended and i did want to do a deep dive of season one like after the first season i don't know when that's going to be because i'm not like feeling great right now and so like i just i, I don't anticipate it being ready next like i don't think i'm going to get that out for next sunday but maybe the week after, I don't know, I'll start prepping it, but I don't anticipate doing that. I'm still working on my Yellow Jacket season one video. It just keeps taking a deep dive. I have mental health problems, okay? Every once in a while, I'll, I'll get a creative burst and I'll like get like a good amount of editing done. And then I go like two weeks without touching it. So, you know, it'll come out when it comes out. Anyways, I'm so annoying. But jumping straight into The Bachelor because I anticipate this episode being long and I'm recording it late on Saturday so unless I want to stay up until like five in the morning recording this I'm probably gonna have to edit it in the morning too before work which kind of sucks because I wanted to go to the Melrose Trading Post tomorrow maybe I can do both I don't know we'll see okay so The Bachelor season 28 episode 2 the cult open they've been doing these where they open with like a scene from the episode I think the premiere was more interesting because it was like a cold open and then they did a rewind so it felt less like a cold open but this is a fairly new thing I feel like they started doing this on Matt James's season I remember watching that premiere and Katie Thurston came out with a vibrator and that was the cold open and I was so confused because they'd never done that before to the point where I was like, did I, my recording, like, skip ahead? And, and, like, I was confused. And it's funny because, actually, my favorite Bachelor podcast, who I swear I talk about in every episode, they, they've seen all of The Bachelor. Like, they did a hyper binge to write a show called How to Win The Bachelor. And they were like, this has never happened before. So I'm like, I'm glad that I wasn't just, like, they, they had the same reaction. But anyways, I tried to take my notes before I listen to any recaps. So my notes are my own. <laughs> 
<laughs> for the record. I mean, nobody cares, but it, it is all intertwined with other people. But the point is, I'm recapping, but I'm also giving my opinion, and my opinions are always my own. So there's a cold open of Lauren. Lauren is the one whose younger sister is there too, and she's upset. Someone brings out a cake. We don't know why she has a cake. She hasn't said anything about it being her birthday. Like, the cake is kind of mysterious. Why does she have a cake? But she's like, oh, finally my cake is here. It's supposed to be red velvet. And then she takes a bite. It's not red velvet. And she throws it. And I wrote in my notes, save the cakes. This is like the third cake or something they've destroyed in the last like two years of the Bachelor franchise. In Paradise, the last few seasons, the cakes have been destroyed. What's with the wasting of food, okay? That cake looked perfectly delicious. Somebody else could have enjoyed it. Anyways, then we open with, like, the real first scene is Jesse and Joey playing tennis. And I wrote in my notes, would Chris Harrison ever do something like this? I haven't seen all of the seasons of The Bachelor because they're not easily accessible. But from what I, I, I've done my best to learn my history, even though I can't watch all the seasons. Would I want to watch every single season of The Bachelor? Probably not. Like, I don't know. I, that could be a fun experience. But anyways, would Chris Harrison ever do something like this? I don't know because I, I, I don't know how he was in his early seasons. Maybe he was a bit more down to earth. But when I started watching the show, when I started watching the show, he would like pop in, say like three words and leave and cash $60,000 per episode, which is more than I make in a year. <laughs> when I found out like pre his leaving, obviously, that he made like $60,000 per episode. It made me want to throw up. Then we see the women moving into the bachelor mansion because if you don't know, they don't like move in the first night. They have, there's, they're all staying at hotels and then they go to the mansion and you go through the whole nine yards to meet Joey. And then if you're chosen at the rose ceremony, you go back to your hotel and then the next day you move in. So like all those women who don't, get roses the first night they never even move into the mansion which is kind of depressing but all the women move into the mansion then jesse comes in the women are all in the living room jesse asks the women questions jess speaks jess is the one who like was really annoying the first episode <laughs> then lauren and allison address dating the same person leah talks about her card and her decision and getting the first impression rose and Jesse tells the group that there will be three dates, two group dates and one one-on-one. -on -one. The first, and he has the first date card, it's a group date. And going on the first date is Rachel, or Rachel, Taylor, Kelsey T, Lexi, Evelyn, Erica, Maria, Lauren, and Jess. And the date card reads, here comes the bride. So in my mind, I was like, okay, this is the traditional bachelor wedding photo shoot date. And I... <laughs> was like, I would be so excited to meet Franco. I'd be like, oh my God, I I'm so excited. Um, this was not the traditional bachelor wedding photography date. So Franco was not there, um, but I missed him. But anyways, they, they have to run to like in the other room, there are a bunch of dresses and they have to run to like pick them out and pick theirs, which I liked. I liked that little thing. A lot of the times when they have these kind of costumes, I guess, or like options like that, wardrobe, I guess is the word for it. They will have like 
ones assigned to them. I like that they they gave them the choice and there was also kind of some competition to get the, the dress they wanted. It feels less produced, weirdly. I mean, I don't know if that's weird to say, but I feel like when they pick out the costumes, it creates this unnecessary tension that doesn't feel as natural because it's like a producer assigned you these co- costumes. Now, if there's like a conflict between, oh, I wanted that dress and she wanted that dress, it feels more natural. It feels more organic, I guess. And that's the kind of drama and conflict that I personally like to see on the show. I don't like the conflict that feels like it was producer driven, you know? And obviously this is a produced television show. It's a weird environment. Their reactions are not the way that they would normally react in their day-to-day lives. But I just think that as a viewer, it's a little bit more enjoyable and more easy to believe that it's real, you know? Like it feels, it takes you out of it a little bit when when you're reminded how much the producers are involved. But anyways, I didn't mean to go on that, that tangent. They pick out their dresses, they get dressed, and they all go in limos and the limos have signs that say almost married. It's all very cute. In the limos, they have these like GoPro camera thingies and they're like talking into the camera. I don't know if that's ever been done on The Bachelor, but I don't have any recollection of that happening. And I think that's a really great, I think that's great. I, I think giving them the ability to, again, it feels more organic to have them talking directly into a camera that they're filming themselves. That's a very mod, like, no modern, I'm so old, but like, that's something I do. It's something that people do in their day-to-day lives with the technology we have is we talk into cameras about our lives. We like, or like, I'm going here, I'm doing that. Like vlogging in that regard is like a thing that people do, even if it's just them recording a video to send to their parents or FaceTiming being like, this is what I'm doing. Like it's a very, mo- I, I'm, I, I keep going on, on all these unnecessary tangents. But anyways, while they're talking to the camera, Maria mentions her dad, as somebody she she need would need at her wedding. And Lauren is triggered and gets a little sad because it's hurting her that her dad won't be at her wedding because her dad passed away recently and she hadn't really like thought about the wedding thing and being in a wedding dress and hearing somebody else talk about their dad and, and their dad attending their wedding hit her heart, which is a completely valid, understandable thing. So on the date... They get there and Joey says that they have to imagine that they all just got married and they're attending their wedding reception. So it's not the photo shoot date. They like walk into this beautiful venue and there's a bunch of people. Who are these people? How did they get there? Like, did they put out a casting call? Did you have to know people at the venue? I would have loved to go to this date because it feels like one where you can, like there's there's food. You're like attending like a fake wedding and you're also on TV. I would love that. And I live in LA. Like they they did this in that general LA area because they haven't left the mansion yet. So like, where was this? How did they pick the people? Were they all just like production people? Did they just happen to be like, how how did these people end up here? Because I would like the contact information. So if they do something like this again, I can be there. Thank you very much. Not even from a, like, I want to be on TV standpoint, just because I love The Bachelor and I would die to to experience like a Bachelor episode being filmed, even if it was just a scene. Anyways, and we find out it's basically a competition and one woman will get to share the first dance and, that, and whoever impresses Joey the most will get the first dance, aka winning the date, I guess. 
But there's no real prize besides that dance, which is a prize because any time with Joey is great. I have to say my one note, I I like that this date was not the very like stereotypical, as much as I missed Franco, I was glad that it wasn't like the same thing we've seen again and again, where they like just take pictures in wedding dresses because it does, it's less engaging as a viewer to watch people get their photos taken and like the mi- minor conflicts that come up in those, like, you know, there are some good wedding photo date moments in the franchise. I'm not trying to discount them, but I just liked something a little bit different. My one critique is that I wish the competition was a bit more structured. Like there were some things that they did. Like first they did musical chairs and whoever was sitting next to Joey won that round or something. But I just wish it was a, like a bit more structured where it was like everybody gives their speeches and then everybody does this or like tournament style. Or I, I would have just wanted it a little bit more structured, but it's still an improvement. So I'm gonna give them props. But anyways, they do musical chairs. Evelyn jumps over the table to sit next to Joey and she does not succeed. So sorry, Evelyn, love you though. Then we see Joey going around with Maria greeting the guests. Like a few of them had these moments where they would do something like that, but it it didn't seem like there were rounds where it was like round one musical chairs, round two, how do you greet the guests? Round three, your toast. Like it was very not structured and I didn't love that personally. But anyways, Joey is going around with Maria greeting the guests and we find out Maria's dad owns a sprinkle company. I thought that was a cute fun fact. Then we see brief one-on-one time with Lauren, with Evelyn, with Erica, with Kelsey T. Actually, I I wrote brief one-on-one time with Lauren, but I don't think we got any one-on-one time with Lauren. Did we? I don't know why I wrote that in my notes because I swear later there's like a big thing of like Lauren to get one-on-one time on this date. So... I apologize for the false information. The point is there's not much about, those interactions are all very brief and I don't think there is one with Lauren where he gets one-on-one time. But anyways, then we see Lauren, Lauren's really upset about her dad and Maria comforts her and they have a nice moment. And I really liked that moment for both of them. Then we see Jess and Joey talking, smashing each other's faces or something with cupcakes. I really didn't understand what they were doing like the greeting the guests made sense to me when like this i didn't understand but anyways they jess and joey are talking and they bonded for being left-handed and then people start clinking their glasses to like to signal that they want the happy couple to kiss and they kiss and taylor is upset and the taylor jess feud is is well it is is going strong then we see rachel and joey walking around talking to guests and she says in her ITMs that it feels natural to her. And I, I, I see that. I feel like they have a very natural chemistry. She's also an Aquarius and he's a Gemini. So I like to have that in mind as a Gemini. If you're an Aquarius out there, I am single. Then we see Rachel give a wedding toast and she wins the competition. She gets the first dance. They kiss. It's really sweet. Michael Bolton performs and he sings When a Man Loves a Woman, which is like amazing. They they have a, a singer there with a really popular song I've actually heard of. Crazy. Crazy. And I wasn't the only one who was like, oh my God, I've actually heard that song before. He's not just a no-name country singer. Like, I wonder how much they paid for that, but... Maybe he's just a friend of the show, who knows? We find out that Lauren is the only woman he didn't get to talk to during the day portion. So I guess my note of, of seeing brief one-on-one time with Lauren doesn't exist. Maybe we saw Lauren talking to somebody else and that's why I wrote it down. I'm, I'm sorry for the misinformation. But he, I'm pretty sure Joey says that in his ITMs. Like I didn't talk to Lauren and Lauren's like, I didn't talk to Joey. 
So at, at the after party, Maria pulls Joey first and she does a little outfit change. She's like, I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm going to slip into something more comfortable. And she comes out in like a more revealing outfit, which is fine. Like slay queen. I don't, I don't care. Do what you want. They kiss. And I feel like that's all we get from their interaction. I do wish we, we would have gotten a little bit more substance. We don't know much about Maria so far. I like her, I like her energy. I like her personality, but I feel like I, I would like to get her to know her more, but it worked, you know, they had, it was a chemistry play as Game of Roses would say. And chemistry plays are just as valid as vulnerability plays, you know, all of that matters. Anyways, then she like goes back out and the women are kind of surprised, but nobody really reacts a ton. Lauren's like, so why'd you change? Like nobody really picks a fight or starts a fight about it, which like, don't get me wrong. That's like not a crazy thing because it really wasn't a big deal. But I feel like there is a world on this show where somebody would have made it a big deal. So thank God that nobody made it a big deal. Lauren was literally just like, nobody even really reacted a ton. Lauren like directly was like, why'd you change? It was funny. I liked it. Then we see Joey and Kelsey talk and this is Kelsey T, not Kelsey A, because there are two Kelsey's and we don't get much, but they seem to have good chemistry. I'm feeling good about Kelsey T. I'm feeling good about both Kelsey's just, you know, but I, I also said I was feeling good about Erica and then she was like non-existent in this episode. So just like, Take what I say with a grain of salt. I'm apparently not that good at predicting things. Then Jess is talking to the group and she's upset about the responses to her kiss with Joey. And she's just like generally upset. Like, I don't know. This this Jess thing really bothered me because it's like, you're rubbing people the wrong way because you're, you're being out there. And if you're being out there and you're feeling with Joey, then embrace that. But I, I don't feel like... Like, I feel like she is upset that people are upset. And it's like, just let people be upset. Like, not everybody has to like you. Not everybody has to be happy that you are, like, getting affection from the person that they are also interested in. Like, that is a very weird situation to be in. And if somebody's not happy about it, like, as long as they're not being mean to your face. Like, Taylor was like, yeah, I, I did a thumbs down. But, like, nobody is outwardly really attacking Jess. Like, they were a bit... Taylor was a bit more confrontational last episode when she was like, why would you steal him again? But there hasn't been much, and this is what we've seen on the show. I don't know if something's different or not, but there hasn't been much like of anybody really coming for Jess. Like there hasn't been a ton of blowback. People are just not like thrilled. And I think that that's fine. Like if somebody's not being like mean to you, like you don't have to be like, I'm sad that people, I was feeling so good. And then people's reactions, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I just don't like Jess and, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Then we see Joey and Jess talk and she opens up about her past relationship and dealing with infidelity and she feels the connection with Joey. So it's hard to hear from others that she needs to like tone it down. And again, it's just like, I, 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 get, I get that. But at the end of the day, you can just be like, I respect that me being so forward and out there and excited is upsetting you. And I see that and that's valid because this is a weird experience to be dating the same guy. Like I get it, it's a weird experience and I understand why you're sad because it's hard to see people connecting with people you're interested in, especially in this competitive environment. Like you can validate somebody else's feelings and see them without like then feeling the need to change your behavior. Because if I was in this environment and I've never been in it. So maybe it's different when you're in it. And I really felt a connection with the lead and people around, like the other women were telling me like, you're too obvious. 
like Kathy and in the Golden Bachelor, Kathy was like zip it to Teresa and Teresa had the strongest connection with him. It just was what it was. Sometimes, sometimes you can see that and you can validate that and you can respect it, but that doesn't mean you have to change your behavior. At the end of the day, if you have the strongest connection with Joey, you're going to have the strongest connection with Joey. Keep pursuing your relationship. Keep doing that without... Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I keep going on a million tangents, but anyways, he's very sweet about her opening up about the infidelity and like about her sentiment about like, oh, I don't want to have to tone it down. I feel really good. It it ends on a happy note, ha- happy for her. Then we see the women at the mansion waiting for the date card. Daisy gets the one-on-one. She opens up about her cochlear implant. I don't really know if she told anybody in the mansion, if she really told them or if she was just like, because it's like a, a staged girl chat where they have them all like the cameras come. They're like, we're going to record you now waiting for the date card. Like, you know what I mean? It's like a, a produced thing where like maybe the producers were like, this would be a good time to open up narratively. I like I don't I don't know. Like, I'm interested, but it doesn't seem like anybody really knows. But it also doesn't seem like anybody really reacted. Not that you would react like, and I don't mean that in the, like, shock or, like, you know, but it, it just seemed like everybody was like, oh, okay. But she opens up about her cochlear implant and how she's never had that conversation with the guy she's dating because she, after she got it, she she went on, like, one date and, was, and it was with somebody who knew her before she got it. So it, like, wasn't something that she, it's not something she's ever had to bring up. So that'll be an interest, that's something to keep in mind. Then back to the group date after party, Joey and Lauren talk and she opens up about her dad. And Joey, again, is very sweet. He's he's a very sweet guy. Then Jess gets the group date, Rose, which is like fine, I guess. I think Lauren deserved it more, but it is what it is. Then we see Daisy's one-on-one. They're at a helicopter and she's like a little bit nervous at first. And I'm like, that's kind of messed up. And then they show up to a festival and it's like noisy and crowded. And I'm like, okay, this seems kind of messed up. Like she's a champ though. Like she's fine. Like she isn't phased by it. I think like she she really doesn't seem that upset by it. So you know what? It's fine, I guess. I'm not gonna, if she's not upset, I'm not gonna ride for her. But like if she had been like, honestly, I'm really overwhelmed with all the sounds. I would have I would have been a bit more mad at producers. I still think it's a little bit inconsiderate, but I also imagine that they have like these dates planned to some extent. And then like, uh, not that they don't tailor the dates to the person, but I feel like they probably have certain dates planned and like they had arranged with the festival to film there. And then they choose that after the fact. I don't really know how far in advance the date planning goes because producers choose who goes on what date. But I don't know if they have like the dates planned out and then they choose the people or if they have it mapped out that far in advance. I mean, it's the first date, so it wouldn't be that far in advance. I'm overthinking this. These are just the things I wonder. But anyways, they're at a festival and Daisy talks about her job. She's transitioning from software sales to running her nonprofit. We don't find out a ton about the nonprofit. She says it's just to help children like embrace their differences, but I don't. I'm interested to know more about like what specifically that means. What does her nonprofit specifically do? Is it specifically for deaf and hard of hearing? 
people? Um, is it specifically for people who have dealt with chronic illness? I'm interested in what her nonprofit is. What is it called? I'm just interested. I, I'm very, Daisy, like I'm really interested in her story. I feel like most people, I don't really see how you could like not like Daisy, at least from what the show is portraying. I don't know her personally, but she like, I, I just, there's been nothing so far that I don't like about Daisy. Like I just, I'm so interested in what her story is, her nonprofit. Like, I'm just very invested, I guess, in Daisy. But anyways, um, they dance on the stage and it's very cute. It's very sweet. It's like, I'm rooting for, I'm rooting for them. What can I say? Then at the night portion, she opens up about her cochlear implant and she explains that she was like ill for a lot of her life. She explains that when she was younger, she had these stroke-like seizures and she kept getting sicker. When her siblings would get sick and she would get sick, she would get significantly significantly sicker than them. And she started losing her hearing and was just generally like really sick. She said that there were periods where she couldn't even walk a block. And um, she found out she had Lyme disease and she went to Germany and got treatment there. And she got way better with the treatment, but her hearing kept getting worse. And eventually she got a cochlear implant. Joey was super great. He was like, how are you doing now with your health? And she's like, I'm feeling great. Like it's really just my cochlear implant. I, I saw TikTok where she opened up about having Meniere's disease, which also impacts your like balance and vertigo and stuff like that from my understanding. I actually first heard of Meniere's disease from Switched at Birth because that switched at birth, it was really my first introduction as a child to the deaf community. And I know like, it is not like the the per- most perfect deaf representation. Like I'm sure there are issues with it. I'm not deaf, so I don't want to speak on that, but I'm sure there are issues with switched at birth, but it was my first introduction to the deaf community. And there is a character on one of the later seasons who has Meniere's disease and has health issues and is losing his hearing because of that. I, I'd actually, but anyways, she, it's, it's an edited show, so I'm sure she explained more, but all we know is that she started losing her hearing. She's feeling a lot better. She has a cochlear implant now. Um, he was, super, he was like genuinely so great about it. Super like sweet. Joey is so charismatic. Like literally she was like, did you notice it at all? And he was like, no, I was too busy looking in your eyes. Like he, he he has riz what can i say i stand i really he's so sweet but he's also charismatic the way he talks about it like he's just i like joey i'm a fan and it was a very sweet moment and i'm i'm rooting for them like i i would have her as my winner pick if i didn't feel like it was too obvious but i don't i don't really like i feel like it might be her but i also don't know if it'll be her because it feels too soon to say whether it's her or not, regardless, whichever path her journey takes, whether she ends up with Joey, whether she becomes a bachelorette, whether she ends up with no relationship in the show, I'm excited to see. Like, I'm, I'm just rooting for her happiness as I'm rooting for Joey's. I really like her. Then for the second group date, it's like this athletic thing. I would hate it. I would literally hate it. Jubilee from Ben Higgins season and Demi from Colton season are here to host it's like a bachelor boot camp. They like go through training, quote unquote, and then there's a competition. And the competition is basically capture the flag, but with hearts instead. And they're also playing paintball. It's weird. It's like a bit, they were doing too many things at once. Like they've done the boot camp thing, but they did that. And then they did capture the flag with hearts. 
And at the same time they were doing paintball, it's like, pick a struggle. What were you trying to do with the state? Anyways, the blue team wins, but we find out that only one woman gets the date. And we don't even find out. They don't even find out then. They're like, go back to the mansion, get ready, and you'll get a date card. Like they had all of those women get ready for one woman to go on a date. That's evil. That's evil. I'm sorry. That's so unnecessary. That would be like making, they've had that before where like half half the women, one team stays home. Imagine they had everybody go home and they were like, we'll tell you which team actually want. Like that's just messed up that they had them all get ready. I'm like, we should, I, I would have unionized. It would have been like, no. And also they find out something I find interesting, which might mean nothing, but might mean something is that we don't find out then it's like, oh, you'll find out later. I think that is so then the producers can more easily pick who goes on the date. And don't get me wrong, the producers can pick regardless. But I think it's probably harder for them to be like, no, we want that person. If like the whole team's like, I don't know. It feels more obviously producer picked, which I'm not a, a mad about because Edwina gets it. And I, I'm happy about that. I'm, I was happy to see Edwina. Thank God they did that for this date and not the last one because like imagine if Jess got like a one-on-one date that would have been a nightmare I mean she got the the group date rose so like on the mini one-on-one Edwina opens up I'd say mini because she didn't get the day portion of the one-on-one so it's not like a full one-on-one but like she skips the night portion that's the most important part Edwina opens up about she says it's hard to be vulnerable she like wants to open up but it's hard for her to be vulnerable joey asks why that is she explains that she grew up as the first daughter in an african house household so she had a lot of responsibility from a young age she has a lot of pressure and failure is not an option for her then back in the mansion medina this is an important little thing that is happening back in the mansion medina is sad that she couldn't talk to him on the group date the paintball capture the flag boot camp group date and she mentions that age that her age is really making her emotional and how being there at 31 her time is so much more precious or she doesn't say that exactly but she's talking about being 31 as if she's on her deathbed like talking about how she is the oldest one there so she feels like she doesn't have as much time as the other women or something along those lines and it feels a little bit like i'm not trying to invalidate her because like i I get it i'm sure and the bachelor has like an issue where like if you're not like 23 like you you know like people age out quote unquote of the bachelor like you don't see 40 year olds on the bachelor sometimes you do but most of the time that's only men i don't i don't know if there's been like like how old has maybe how old was claire i think she was almost 40 i don't really know that's neither here nor there the point is age is a thing that has come up on the show before i understand why maybe going on the show as a 31 year old you feel a little bit older but the way she was talking about it was a little bit dramatic to her credit she does say like immediately she's like i shouldn't have said that out loud i think she said that and she was kind of embarrassed to say that in the group at least but anyways then maria then maria is saying that she doesn't think people should feel weird about that she's like talking to somebody about how medina was talking about her age and how that is like not something people should feel weird about like she's older than joey she's older than the other women like that's not weird they're all around the same age and she's talking to somebody about this and sydney overhears medina's name and and something about age and she and sydney assumes that maria is talking shit and she decides that she's going to say something because that's not okay then back to the one-on-one edwina gets the rose it's very sweet that's the conclusion of that day i'm happy for edwina i like her then in the morning we see taylor talk to Maria about Medina being upset about 
Maria saying that she's old too. I'm rolling my eyes at this, by the way. It's it's just a headache. She's like, what do you, what the hell is this? Like, it, it, it's so confusing. Basically, Sydney, then, then Maria tries to figure out who, you know, get, she's trying to get to the bottom of it. And Sydney thinks that Maria was talking shit and being condescending. And she thinks, she says, and she says this in her ITMs, but she says, I think Joey needs to know because I don't think Joey wants somebody like that. And to Sydney's defense, we don't, I'm pretty sure this is off face. And I, so I don't know if she's wearing, it could be about somebody else. I'm trying to give her a little bit of grace, but if it is about this situation, I mean this respectfully. What does Joey need to know? that Maria was maybe a little bit invalidating to like some girl. I understand invalidation. I understand how shitty it feels. If I was talking about something that was genuinely vulnerable to me, I was like, I've struggled so much with depression and anxiety. And somebody was like, I'm depressed too. That might upset me a little bit. That might upset me, right? Even if they were trying to, or I was like, I feel so ugly. And somebody was like, I feel ugly too. Like it is a little bit dismissive, okay? It can feel a little bit bad when you're talking about your feelings and somebody's like, well, everybody feels like that. I get it, I get it. That's not a great feeling. But you know what I would do in that situation? I wouldn't be like, oh my God, this guy that that girl's dating deserves to know that she invalidated me once. Like that is so unbelievably illogical. Joey doesn't need to know that Maria was maybe rude to somebody one time. If you can even say that, she wasn't even trying to be rude. She wasn't trying to be rude. Like, and and yes, impact doesn't equal intent and all of that, but it's just like such an unnecessary thing. Like also from a strategic game standpoint, tattling on the show is so unbelievably stupid. Like it doesn't help you. All that makes you is like the girl who brought drama to the lead. And this is such a, and there are a few moments where I'm like, okay, I think maybe that's justified confronting them. Even then I would be like, let somebody else do it. Like, I'm not going to be the one to tattle unless somebody would directly said something to me maybe. But like at the end of the day, if it's something so minute, like, oh, she said I'm old too. And that was dismissive of Medina's insecurities. Does Joey really need to know? Does Joey really need to know? I liked when Zach Shellcross, as much as he was my favorite bachelor. I liked when he was like, basically like, if it's not that important, I don't need to know about the drama. Like, thank you. Anyways, Lauren in her ITMs is talking about how she wants to do over from the group date. She's like gonna get a cake. She's gonna take a Polaroid. She's gonna do the whole thing. Then we see Joey and Lexi have one-on-one -on -one time. She talks about how she has her master's in arts and she's been painting him a picture. Then she turns it over and it's like a stick figure. Bad painting in my opinion, but like, it's a joke. They kiss, it, it, it's nice. It's a cute moment. I like that she has a sense of humor. Then we see quick one-on-one -on -one time with Kelsey A. She talks about a tattoo she has for her four siblings. She has four lines drawn because there's four of them and they kiss. Then we see one-on-one -on -one time with Caitlin. We find out she plays the French horn. Joey says in his ITMs that Caitlin is one of the more different girls, which like, I'm sure he didn't mean that as an insult, but I would be a little bit offended. Watching the show, I'd be like, Joey thinks I'm like weird. Caitlyn's beautiful too, you know? I, I mean, they're all beautiful, but it's like, I, Caitlyn's really pretty. Who cares if she's a little bit quirky? Then Maria is still kind of like, I, she doesn't know what the issue is. She's like, she doesn't get why the age thing is an issue. She wasn't trying to say anything bad about anybody's age. She was just like, I don't understand 
why people why you're even worried about your age basically is maria's whole feeling from what i'm gathering so she talks to medina medina basically thinks she was being dismissive and invalidating but again i just don't understand the issue also maria isn't mad at medina she's just she wants to know who's throwing her under the bus and i agree because if you overhear somebody and you think they're talking shit go up to them and be like hey i i heard this i don't really know what this is about i'm friends with medina and i don't really want to hear somebody talking badly about her and then she could be like oh i wasn't talking badly about her i just don't think she should feel insecure about being 31 like it's not like a crazy age difference like i'm 29 joey's only 20 like joey's 28 like it's really like not a big deal it's an advantage you know like just squash it there it became a bigger thing than it needed to be. Anyways, then Maria addresses the group and Sydney says that it was belittling, condescending. And like Sydney, these are judgments. I feel like you need to learn how to communicate better. And I'm pretty sure her her title said like mental health therapist. Maybe I made that up. Maybe that wasn't Sydney. But like if she is a therapist, like girly pop, have you ever do you know what dialectical behavioral therapy is? Because these are judgments, you know, belittling, condescending. That is not actually describing what happened. You can say, sorry if there's weird background noise. My cat's just, uh, like walking all around here. I don't want to pause my, my thing. I just, I feel like a more effective way to communicate this would be like, it was a sensitive thing for her and she was hurt. Like make it about her feelings. Use I statements. I mean, she should be talking for herself. You shouldn't be like, she was hurt because who are you? Like her advocate? I don't know, but to be like it was condescending you are placing like judgments and motives behind maria's words when you overheard them first of all like you didn't get the full context you overheard what she was saying to somebody else you don't even genuinely know what she was talking about first of all she didn't say to you you didn't have that conversation one-on-one it's just not the most effective way to communicate (laughs) that's fine and maria says i feel for her because i want her to own it and it's like that's that's exactly the point that's exactly the point like if somebody if i was insecure about i don't like i don't know my my hair my curly hair right that's something i've been insecure about in the past i'm not anymore i love my hair but like say i was insecure about my hair and then somebody was like i have curly hair too like i've been insecure that's okay even if i felt like that was a little bit invalidating if then they were like i was just trying to honestly like i don't think i would be invalidated by that i think i would be like okay i see they're trying to to find common ground with me and be like it's not like we don't need to feel insecure about that there's nothing wrong with it but even if i felt a little bit hurt if then they were like i just don't want you to feel insecure about that there's no reason to feel insecure like the issue would be squashed you know because i do think there are people when they invalidate you like sometimes people invalidate you invalidate you or dismiss your feelings unintentionally it's not what they mean they're trying to 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 calm your fears to quiet your anxieties to make you feel better they're trying to make you feel better be like this is not something to feel bad about there are other times where people are genuinely invalidating your feelings because there's like there's no reason to be upset about that you're stupid like there's just there's levels to things I've been going on unnecessary tangent about this but anyways she's just trying to say there's no reason to even be insecure and maybe that's a little bit invalidating, but she could just be like, I'm a little bit hurt by that because maybe there isn't a logical reason to be insecure, but I am a little bit insecure. Whatever. What does Joey have to do with it? <laughs> and Maria says for this to even be a conversation, for this to be a conversation is crazy. And I do agree that in the general thing of the show, like the conversation about if you're too old is a little bit crazy. Like it's it's tired. 
they've had this conversation over and over and over again and he she's not like that much older okay like she's three years older than joey anyways then maria asks sydney to come to her next time and that seems like pretty much squashed and maria says in her itms that was probably the dumbest fight on bachelor history and i have to say i do think that like i don't know if it was the dumbest fight because like i think the origins of some other fights are are dumber like the shrimp gate from clayton's season while that became a lot darker because then should nay started talking about that was that was invalidating the way she was like i have adhd adhd too after elizabeth was like vulnerable about her adhd to me that is like an example of like harmful anyways but like the point is that one got really bad but it started kind of really stupid about like oh they didn't take my shrimp the origin of that one was stupid but like then it became really nasty anyways not to relive shrimp gate if you didn't live through that just ignore that okay don't look into it you don't need to know then we see one-on-one time with evelyn and joey and i love her i'm obsessed with her she gives him a jacket with 4trr on it explains that 4trr means for the right reasons and everything she's there to do is for the right reasons and then in her itms she also she made this jacket by the way then in her itm she says i just gave him a piece of my heart in a way and she starts tearing up and she's literally just like me because if i explain 4tr to somebody like i'm in love with them if i explain Lucian protocol i better have a ring on my finger like we are <laughs> i love her she's also a gemini sun with a libra moon and a libra rising and I am a Gemini sun with a Libra moon and a Libra rising. Like that is my sister. That is my soul sister. I love her. I would die to be her friend. Anyways, then we see Lauren anxious about her time. Everybody seems to have time with him and she hasn't gotten time with him yet. She wants to recreate what they missed on the date. Oh, I, I said this before, but she explains it now. She wants the cake. She wants the Polaroid. Everybody's getting their time before her and she's angry and she's like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving the show. Joey interrupts what appears to be an ITM. Like she's talking to the camera and he's like, hi, can I talk? He pulls her aside. She tells him she's going home and he doesn't really seem, he's like, I'm sorry to hear that. Like he doesn't really be like, oh no, you should stay. He doesn't really push back. I don't think he particularly cared. Then the cake comes out. It's not red velvet and she's upset. Then she says to Joey as her like goodbye message to him, she says, maybe I'll see you at hometowns, which was really funny. Joey leaves. She has a bite of the cake. She throws it because it's not red velvet. And she says, if my dad was here, he would have been like, I told you not to go on that show. And that's the last we see of Lauren. Then then we go to the rose ceremony. The roses presented in order are Rachel, Lexi, Kelsey A, Kelsey T, Jen, Evelyn, Autumn, Medina, Leia, Caitlin, Krissa, Maria, Star, Allison. And the final rose goes to Sydney, which is a drama rose. Going home are Taylor, Marlena, and Erica. I I literally, last episode was like, I'm, you know, interested in Erica. I feel like Erica might get far. And she, boom, she's gone second episode. I can't, predictions. Uh, Marlena's gone, which is fine. She was the Trump staffer. She was kind of non-existent on the show though. Like it didn't have much of a presence. So I don't know anything about her besides the fact that she worked for Trump. Leia in her ITM is talking about how she didn't get a date this week and she's questioning her decision to burn the card and i feel for her i feel like that you know what i was thinking about this after the fact and i'm like stealing a date from somebody does suck 
But I would have kept it and been like, if somebody's getting their second one-on-one, maybe I can take it. But I, I understand the gesture and it got her the first impression, Rose. But like, I really don't know. I really don't know. Like, I think there are, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a TV show. So it's not like that fucked up if you steal a date from somebody. But I think there are like really valid times to steal a date from somebody. Like if somebody's getting their second one-on-one, who cares? I'd steal it from them then. Like you've gotten one. It's my turn. That is like, to me, a little bit different. I was thinking about like the case scenarios where I wouldn't feel guilty if I was Leia on the show stealing a date from somebody. You know what I mean? But anyway, she's questioning her decision. And then Sydney says in her ITMs, that she thinks she handled the whole situation well, which is so stupid, Sydney. Sorry. You handled it horribly. Then they cheers and Maria says she doesn't know what's to come and the episode ends. My prediction for who I think is going far. So I feel good about Daisy. I feel good about Rachel. I feel good about, I can't remember which Kelsey is which. Like A or T, I really, I can't remember which Kelsey is which. But those are the people, uh, Daisy, Rachel, Lexi maybe. I'm rooting for Evelyn because that's my soul sister, but I don't know how far she's gonna get. And Maria, I'm rooting for Maria. I'm rooting for Rachel, Maria, and Evelyn, and Jen. Like those are the girlies that I'm rooting for. People I think, oh, and Daisy, obviously. People I think Joey has a good connection with, Daisy, Rachel, Jen, maybe Maria, if Maria can overcome the drama. Those are the people I'm feeling right now. I don't think Jess is gonna go very far. Sydney, don't think she's gonna go very far. Allison, I don't really think she's gonna go that far. Star has kind of just been there. Krista, Caitlin, both, all of those. Leia, I don't think she's gonna get very far. Medina, I don't think she's gonna get very far. Autumn, I don't think she's gonna get very far, but I don't know. I had horrible predictions last week. You know what the good thing is? There's always at least one very obvious person. So if I bet on Daisy, at least I won't be too far off with like my other people. That I'm rooting for. Okay, so moving on to the Vanderpump Rules. This is season 11, episode one, and it's called Notes on a Scandal. The season intro, it opens with the season intro, which is the typical Vanderpump Rules, like cool intro that they do. I don't really, I don't, I don't really know how to describe it if you've never seen Vanderpump Rules, but they do one like every season and I like it. It has the something about her that wasn't there in season 10. For the opening scenes, we get brief, brief glimpses into the cast, the cast members' homes. We see it opens at Tom and Ariana's house and she makes herself coffee. And then we see Sheena and Brock and their daughter. Then we see James and Allie and we find out they have a new house right by the airport. And we see Tom Schwartz in his apartment watering his plants. Then Katie goes to Ariana's house. They're going thrifting for teacups for their shop. Tom is in New Zealand for special forces where he met Nick Vial. <laughs> Ariana is maintaining, we find out that Ariana is maintaining a no contact policy. They communicate through his assistant, which fun fact, she just started a podcast with a girl who used to be on Nick Vial's podcast. I think she used to be a producer on Nick Vial's podcast. They have a podcast together. Tom Sandoval's assistant and a former Vial Files employee, which is kind of funny. Um, I think it's called We Signed an NDA. I always liked her on the Vial Files. She was like my favorite. When she left, I was like, what's the point of watching? I barely watched an episode of the Vial Files since she left. I mean that sincerely. I watch them on occasion because he, he gets good guests, but I just don't really like him. And he doesn't have enough producers to push back on his annoyingness. But anyways, um, this wasn't about Nick Vial. It's all connected though in my brain. We find out through Ariana that Tom wants to buy Ariana out and stay in the house, but she doesn't want that. Like she doesn't think that he really should have the house, which I, I agree. Like I understand Tom 
is the one who fucked up their lives. And then on top of that, he just gets the house. And Ariana's even like, what, you're gonna bring her back here? Like, I understand where she's coming from. I do. Is it like reasonable and fair? Who knows? But it's not reasonable. Sometimes people act on emotion. Not everything is like, what is most factually fair? Sometimes it's like, you screwed me over. I'm not gonna make this super easy to you. And I saw a clip of Ariana talking about their living situation. It was like in a Vanderpump like after show that they have on Paramount Plus, I think. Peacock, whatever streaming platform it's on. Don't quote me, I don't remember. I think it might be Peacock actually. Yeah, it's not Paramount Plus, it's Peacock. Cause all the Bravo stuff is on Peacock. But anyways, the she said that she thinks that all the, that Tom views all these things as things that happened to him, not things that he did. And I agree, like, I think that is the core issue that Tom thinks like his life fell apart too. And it's like, no, you ruined your own life. And did obviously other, like, was it a very, anyways, that's neither here nor there, not to get into the depths of it, because I, I think was the reaction proportionate to the actual betrayal? Who knows, who knows? That's a separate conversation, but the point is, at the end of the day, specifically when it comes to the house, like the consequence, like you cheat on your partner and you just get everything you want. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. We also find out from Ariana that Tom and Raquel are sending mail back and forth. I, I literally, half of my notes say Rachel and half of my notes say Raquel. I'm going to just call her Raquel for my own sanity, but her real name is Rachel. She's going by Rachel now. Half of them call her Raquel. Some of them call her Rachel. Like it's hard for me to keep track. And my notes are like Rachel Raquel. So it's just, it's going all over the place. Then we see Ali and James building furniture for their new house. And James is hurt about the affair and because Tom shut him out from the entire group. Then we see Sheena and Brock and she says that she gets scanned of all flashbacks every time she's on her couch. We also find out from Sheena that Tom lost a childhood friend recently and Sheena reached out and he did not reply. So she reached out again and the message didn't go through. And she finds out that he blocked her on Instagram, her podcast's Instagram, and her daughter's Instagram. And that's like a big thing, like, oh, how dare you block my daughter? Like, you run the account. Like, it's not your daughter running the account. If your daughter was like 16 years old and like a separate entity from you, not that she's not, she's obviously her own person, but like you run the Summer Moon Instagram account. Like, don't pretend, Sheena, that that's not you. He didn't block your daughter. He blocked one of your other accounts. Not to defend Tom Sandoval, but I just like the mincing of like, he blocked Summer Moon. No, that's one of your accounts. You run the account. She's a kid. <laughs> Brock like asks if anybody knows where Raquel is. Nobody really knows if Raquel is still in the treatment facility. Who knows? Then we see Lala, and we find out that Lala's mom moved in with her, and her brother is also living in LA in like the same area compound, even maybe the same building. I'm not sure. We find out that Lala's custody bat custody battle is still going on. Randall doesn't want to give her full legal because then she'll be able to put. Ocean, their daughter on Vanderpump Rules, but she did get final say on education and health. And that's really all she cares about. She's like, I don't need to put her on Vanderpump Rules. And Lala opens up in her confessionals that she put everything she was dealing with on the back burner because of the custody battle. But now she really has to deal with her own heartbreak and the the, the loss too, which I, am, I, I can imagine because it's like, I'm sure that was a whirlwind. And their daughter was really young when, when like the whole Randall news broke. Anyways, then we see James and Schwartz meeting for dinner. 
Schwartz gives James some housewarming gifts. Very sweet. Schwartz is wearing his Schwartz and Sandy's hat for the first time. And he opens up about how the bar really suffered. Schwartz and Sandy's really suffered after the scandal because it was kind of like the place, you know, it had their names on it. And he even says that the biggest fight he ever got into with Sandoval was about the name of the bar. And I do have to say, as much as Schwartz has his issues, I do feel for him because I did watch the season where they were they were arguing about the name and he's like but that's our brand like our brand will draw people there and then to to be so adamant that the name should be your name because of the brand and then fuck up so badly that that backfires on you like how can your selling point be your brand and then you have no care for the brand and and anyways schwartz also talks about his family issues that he dealt with this past year on top of his divorce and Scandival, like he 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 went through his own stuff the last year, which like, you know, I wish him the best. And and James says you're your best Tom when you're just Tom Schwartz. And I agree. Like I find Tom Schwartz kind of charismatic when he's just by himself. But then he has to defend Sandoval and it's like, dude, just stop it. James says he's not drinking anymore. He's California sober, so he still smokes weed, but he's he's not drinking anymore which he's been like he was like sober and then he started drinking again so this has been a journey for him but he says that he doesn't think he'll ever drink again and if that is a decision he makes i i'm very happy for him in his sobriety journey all the girls are going to james's set at tom tom and that comes up because james asks if tom and ariana like schwartz and ariana have spoken and he says no and James is like, well, they're all going to the set, so they'll see each other then. Then we see Sheena and Ariana get massages. Ariana talks about her boyfriend. They met at a wedding like 10 days after everything broke and he lives in New York, so they're doing long distance. He's like a bartender and a personal trainer. Sheena opens up about being on medication now because her OCD and anxiety got really bad post scandal. Ariana talks a little bit about Schwartz and how she blocked him. She was like, I wasn't gonna be friends with him, but I also wasn't gonna be like, fuck you. And then he did watch What Happens Live and he told people to hug Sandoval. And after that, she sent him like a really mean message and blocked him. And we see Tom in his, we see Schwartz in his confessional reading the message. It is pretty harsh. Then Sheena's like, what if you see him at Tom Tom? And Arena's like, I'll just go in the bathroom and avoid him. Then we see James getting ready for his set. Lala is getting ready with Sheena, Ariana's getting ready and FaceTiming her boyfriend. And she's nervous to go back to Tom Tom because she hasn't been there since the day she found out about Scandival. Because if you don't know, she found out because Tom was performing at Tom Tom and he dropped his phone and she had it and she checked his photos and there were explicit photos or videos of Raquel. So she hasn't been to Tom Tom since she found everything out. Then at Tom Tom, we see Lisa and James and Alvi. Then we see Schwartz arrives, Lala and Sheena arrive, Katie and Ariana arrive, and they reminisce about their first time walking into Tom Tom ever, like versus now. And it is kind of a very emotional thing. They show, they like flashback to the clips of when they first walked into Tom Tom and they were like, each dating a Tom and they were so proud of their respective Toms. It is kind of sad, but anyways. Ariana's nervous about being there again. Tom asks the, Schwartz asks the group if they want tricks, drinks and Ariana ignores him. Then Lala pulls Lisa for a chat and Lala opens up about feeling really bad for Raquel because of what she said at the reunion about how if she turned against Tom, she'd have nobody 
left because she because Lala understands that experience of feeling like the person you trust the most in the world. Like if you turn against them, you have nobody. And she says, and I wrote this down verbatim, she says, and the hardest part about that is that like all the names I was called, me being labeled a home wrecking whore, like if you just lay it out there, they're all true. And she says this like very emotionally in one of her confessionals. And Lisa says Lala is the last person she'd expect to have sympathy for Raquel. And that's like a nice sign. Then we see Katie and Sheena basically squash their beef. They're like cool now. They had problems with after Scandal, they kind of learned to be in the same room and they're like, we're, we're cool now. Then we see Lala leave a voice message for Raquel. Raquel like sees it, but she doesn't reply. So far, will she reply? Who knows? Then we see Katie go to Tom's place to pick up the dogs. And this is after the, the Tom Tom James DJ said night. So the ne- I don't know if it's the next day, but then we see Katie go to Tom's place to pick up the dogs because they have dogs that they share custody of. Katie doesn't like how Tom talked about her last summer. She says this in her confessional. So she's like, we're not going to be friends. Like the only part of my life he gets access to is the dogs. Like that's it. We're not friends. My friends don't talk about me that way. And he kind of asks her to put a good word in for Ariana. Doesn't say that directly, but he's like, you know, maybe when you're talking to Ariana, you can be like, Schwartz, sorry. And and Katie's like really not having it. I think she's kind of like, why don't you text her? And then he's like, I'm blocked. And then she's like, like, she, I don't think she wants to be in the middle, which is fair. Then the episode ends with a girl's night at the den. I guess is the restaurant bar. I don't really know. They're all there. Sheena, Katie, Lala, and Ariana. Katie mentioned she saw Tom and that he has pet bugs now, which, and they, they flash back to earlier and we see him introducing his pet bugs to Katie. And and she also mentions that he mentioned missing Ariana. And then Lala's like, what if I play devil's advocate? And she mentions the amount of mental abuse that Sandoval has inflicted upon Schwartz for many years. And Ariana's like, I, I hear that because there's a lot of unlearning that she's had to do. For example, Tom Sandoval always told her to be careful being friends with Katie. So she was guarded with Katie. And then Lala asks if she's still guarded because sometimes she feels like Ariana doesn't really like her. And they have a nice moment where Ariana's like, no, of course I like you. And then Lala's like, in all honesty, because of this moment we just had, I did, she opens up that she sent Raquel a message. Ariana says in her confessionals, that she thinks it's like crazy because Lala really did not want people talking to her ex. I will say I do think it's a little bit different because Lala isn't talking to Sandoval. Like the situations are different because it wasn't like Lala's relationship imploded because of an affair. It imploded because of like a scandal and like a, it, it was a separate, the turning point, the inciting incident, if you will, for either of those relationships were very different. So it's not like there is a mistress equivalent to the equation that if Ariana tried to contact, I do understand what she's saying, but like she didn't want anybody contacted who contacted Randall to be in my life. But it is just a little bit different when somebody, I think in my, I think it it is probably not like a crazy statement to say that what Randall did was worse than what Tom Sandoval did because like both are fucked up but what Randall was accused of from my understanding is like abuse of power you know what I mean like they're very different situations and there wasn't like an equivalent person that Ariana would like reach out to they're just very different situations like I I don't know I understand what she's saying that maybe it's a little bit hypocritical but I just think they're so different which I also think is maybe why Lala even trying to compare 
herself to Raquel is is like kind of like they're it's different the nuances matter like are there similarities obviously but I think the nuances make the scandal and I think they're important like I, I think they're just they're very different situations Ariana says that Tom and Raquel are still in contact and that Raquel knew better she talks about her time in January where she like came over to her house and like Raquel came over to Ariana's house and she was consoling her and it was very clear that Tom that Tom and Ariana were still together and Katie says they're different people like even if the feeling is the same and she resonates with something Raquel said she doesn't say exactly like this but she said just because the feelings are the same doesn't mean the players are and I agree that is where I'm 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 I understand where Lala is coming from because like when you see somebody going through something and you're like, I felt that way before, that's true. But I think the nuances make the situation. And I think that she might feel for Raquel, but at the end of the day, you and Raquel were in very different situations. Like, yes, you were with a married man and I'm sure that that caused real harm to his ex-wife in a way. Like, I, I'm sure that if there was harm caused by Lawa's actions, but it's also just a very different situation when you're friends with the person. And I appreciate that Lala can be like, I, I did cause harm. But I also just think that it's important to give herself some grace and understanding and be like, like the, ugh, I've said it a million times, but the nuances matter. Then Sheena is like, don't forget what she did to me either because of the temporary restraining order. And she says that, she says this in her confessionals, Sheena does, that like, if the only thing Raquel did was fall in love with her best friend, Tom Sandoval, that maybe they would be able to be friends again, but she put a temporary restraining order against her. So like, they'll it'll never happen. And I have to say, if I was Ariana watching the episode, I would be a little bit hurt by that. Because I was like, the temporary restraining order isn't the only thing she did. She actively was friends with me while I was going through a very difficult time and she was fucking my, my boyfriend. Like... If I was Ariana and a friend of mine was like, if the only thing she did was fall in love with her best friend, Sandoval, it'd be one thing, but she put out a temporary restraining order against me. I would feel really upset if I was Ariana listening to that because it's like, no, that's, she didn't just fall in love with her best friend, Tom Sandoval. She like actively made many decisions that to continue this affair that caused real harm to Ariana when she was already in a very vulnerable state. Like, let us not forget that Ariana wasn't just cheated on. She was cheated on when she was grieving her grandmother and her dog. She had been going through a really difficult year. There are levels to it. It, It's not that simple, Sheena. And I'm not saying the temporary restraining order thing wasn't probably really, really distressing and maybe even traumatizing. Like, that sounds horrible. Genuinely, it does. I get, I get stressed at the idea of a cop pulling me over. Like, I see a police, and I'm in my car, and I'm, like, not doing anything wrong, and I'm like, I'm going to jail. Like, genuinely, I understand the, like, that court stuff and just, and, like, legal stuff can be very scary. Like, I understand that being taken to court and being called dangerous and having a temporary restraining order put against you is probably an extremely upsetting, like, experience. I just feel like to say that that is like Raquel's biggest sin and they'd be like, if she had just fallen in love with Sandoval, I would be able to maybe move on, but she hurt me. If I was Ariana, I'd be like, okay, so you're only cutting the ties with Raquel because she fucked you over. Who cares what she did to me? That's how I would feel if I was Ariana, but if Ariana doesn't care, who am I? Anyways, Ariana says that she's worried that it'll be like a foot in the door, which I understand too. Like 
she doesn't want Raquel to maybe think that there is an introduction to be had because she doesn't want Raquel back in the group, which is fair. But anyways, they end okay. It's fine. Ariana's like, I'm not mad. That's just like where I'm coming from because I don't want people to think that there is like a foot in the door because there's no foot to be had. But they end up okay. Like, it's fine. Then the episode ends with Tom Sandoval coming back to their shared house. And that is how the premiere ends. It was a good premiere. I'm excited for next week. And anyways, moving on to the final episode that I'm going to talk about today, The Traitors. This episode was so good. It was sad. It, it, I would laugh. I cried. You know, I, I went through all of the emotions. It was a great episode. If you're not watching The Traitors, I say this every week, but what are you doing with your life? Sincerely. So anyways, season two, episode six of The Traitors, United States version, and it's called Backstab and Betrayal, which I have to say as a name kind of bothers me because Backstab, that's not a noun, but Betrayal is like Backstab and Betrayal. It would be backstab and betray because backstab is a verb, right? Unless backstab is a noun. I apologize for this unnecessary tangent. I was an English major in college. Anyways, so the murder was attempted. We The episode opens with like a voiceover of Alan saying that the murder was attempted but failed. Pilot Pete is feeling confident in breakfast. Dan says that he thinks it'll be somebody who voted for him because then it'll be easy to frame him, which was a stupid thing to say. And it's funny because when I was watching this, I was like, oh my God, Corey Wardenberger did that on the Rob Has a Podcast traders that they did. <laughs> and then I saw a tweet that was like, no, not Dan using Corey's shitty strategy. <laughs> because I was watching that. I was like, Corey literally did that and he got to him sent home. And it was so funny when he did that. If you haven't watched the Rob has a podcast like traitors thing they did, it's six hours, but it's so good. And it's funny because when they're doing the banishment and everybody's voting for Corey, Zach, who is Corey's brother, is like, I don't think that it's Corey because I don't think he's stupid enough to do something like this. Like not was it it wasn't like I think he's he's too faithful. Like nothing like that. It was like this would be stupid if he did it. And he did. And Dan tried to do that too, but you know what? It's okay. Sometimes, sometimes game bots, game bot a bit too hard. You know, you like, you think you're trying to play like 4D chess. You're like trying to reverse, reverse, reverse psychology. And then you just get back to regular psychology and none of it makes sense. That was a horrible, sometimes I try to like make an analogy or like say something. And I'm like, that was so stupid. I mean, Berkey doesn't show up and they all think he's dead. Except obviously those who know he has the shield. Peter's so happy. He's like a little bit over the top during this whole breakfast shenanigans. Like he's a little bit over the top, respectfully, Peter. Then Berkey walks in and everybody's shocked. He announces he had a shield. They all congratulate Peter, but he's being a little bit too vocal about it. Like he's a little bit too happy. Then Peter tells the group his plan. He like reveals that he gave people bad information to hopefully throw them off the scent and, and block the murder. Like he tells them everything. Parvati in her confessional is talking about how she blames Dan, which is fair because it was his fault. Parvati even, like, she was like, maybe this is, like, no, she didn't say maybe. She said he's lying, right? And Dan said, I don't think he is smart enough. I don't think he said smart, but I don't think he's, like, clever enough. Whatever he said. He's not enough of a gamer, I guess, in in no certain term, to, to come up with that plan. Like, he just, he didn't think Peter... Savvy. Savvy is the word he used. He's like, I don't think Peter's savvy enough to come up with that plan. So it is Dan's fault. And I love Dan, okay? I am a Dan Giesling. Stan, I love him. His game on Big Brother is amazing to me. Like, I 
watch Dan's funeral when I need a pick me up, when I need faith that God exists. Like I, I, I love, I love Dan. I love Dan. I hate that people are like, Dan was never that good of a player after this. I think this is not a blemish on, it's a different game. Like at the end of the day, being really good at one game doesn't mean you're going to be really good at another. And I still think he did a really good job. Like, I don't think he played a bad game, but even if he did, I don't think that then we should go back and like revision, revision his history, his previous game, because I've said this before, but having like a legacy like Dan's and then having the like balls to go back and play again, that to he put himself out there. He, he tried again and he had a good time and he wasn't a sore loser. So like people need to shut up about Dan. It, it's really pissing me off. It's really pissing me off. There's some people who like, I've literally seen people saying that Derek, like whatever his last name is from Big Brother 16 is a better player than Dan. I'm like, he, first of all, Dan's game was recreatable. Like Dan was able to pivot in season 10 when he, like he, he, he's been able to pivot a few times in his game. He hasn't had like the same strategy the entire time. Derek pretty much was a one note player. He had one strategy. It worked for him because nobody knew he was a cop. If he goes back, he's going to, he's going to flop. He's going to flop because everybody knows he's a cop now. He can't keep it a secret. In any other season, Derek would go out pre-jury. If he played again, he would go out pre-jury. Dan won his season at Big Brother 10. And he wasn't like from a great position the entire time. He played with his back against the wall in certain instances. He 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 wasn't playing from the top, you know. He wasn't playing from the best position. He played with his back against the wall in many instances in his first season. Then he comes back. He has a target against him because he is a winner. He has his back against the wall a few times in season 14 as well. And he manages to save himself every time and get to the end. And yeah, he didn't win the second time, but I think Ian played a really good game. And that's a whole separate conversation. But my point is Derek is not as good of a player because he never played with his back against the wall. He was playing on easy mode the entire time. And his game is not, we don't know if it could be recreated. I don't think it would be. And I think he's too chicken to try. And to me, that just emphasizes that he's not a good player. <laughs> and you know what? There are some players who are, I've seen, like, Steve from season 17. He's said that, like, he really only had one game to play and he played it. So he, like, doesn't, he wouldn't want to play again because he's like, I already did like, I played the game I wanted to play exactly. He also, he's he's opened up about how, like, he was a super fan, but then watching any season after was too upsetting because it was a very, like, emotionally difficult situation, like, environment for him. Like, he thought that he would really enjoy backstabbing, backstabbing and playing the game, but, like, it genuinely hurt him emotionally to have to, like, backstab people. So I just, like, anyways, but but I think it it's fine if you say, like, I played the game I wanted to play and I don't, like, but I'm sorry. Of all the players, you can like you cannot argue to me that Derek is a better player than Dan Giesling. Derek isn't even that good of a player. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said it. He's not that good of a winner. He's not that good of a player. And if I said Andy Herring is a better player than Derek will ever be, would I be booed? Would you throw tomatoes at me? <laughs> I don't care. And I'm not just saying that because I love Andy Herring's Twitter, okay? It's my dream to be friends with him. Anyways, I didn't mean to go on that tangent. Basically, Peter tells the group his plan... Harvey blames Dan. That rhymes. <laughs> and CT admits that Peter told him. He's like the first one. He's like, you told me, but like, I didn't. And he's super, like CT, great, great job because he's super sincere and it comes across super sincere. Then Harvey admits 
that he told her to and she says that she didn't tell a soul and i think that that was a mistake because why would you i mean i guess i'd be like i did tell somebody if you're like i didn't tell a soul then like you're just narrowing down the suspects but i guess you know if you tell they could be like i didn't know but i'd be like why are you taking they're obviously i'd be like obviously they're gonna say they didn't know because they don't want the target to be on them too but i didn't keep it to myself that's what I would have said. Don't say I didn't tell anybody. That makes you look more suspicious, in my opinion. Then Dan admits it was leaked to him too. I don't really know why they would just admit that. Like I would, I mean, I guess it's better to admit it than have it revealed. I don't really know. The target's ready on them. Peter is a bit too cocky. He needs to chill, but I do understand that he feels like he has a lot of power right now. Then Alan comes in and greets them. Dan admits in his confessionals that his move backfired. And basically that he underestimated Peter because he was the bachelor, which never underestimated bachelor. Specifically not Pilot Pete. Pilot Pete went toe to toe with some of the best, some of the best. If you know, you know. Then Peter thinks it's definitely not CT because of his reaction. So he's narrowed it down to Parvati and Dan. He's like, it's either Parvati or Dan, but he's thinking it's probably both of them. Which, like, he's so good. Like, he just, he, he was, like, CT's reaction. But, like, he can read people. A skill he acquired on The Bachelor. And I, this isn't an original thought. Bachelor Clues from the Game of Roses podcast said this when he was talking about the game. But um, when he was talking about the traders. But, like, a, a big thing on The Bachelor is being able to tell somebody's there for you or for the fame like it's called for the right reasons for the wrong reasons i just talked about it in my bachelor recap if you skipped that to just listen to this that is a core principle of the bachelor is being there for the right reasons and you don't want to be accused of being there for the wrong reasons what is that if not being able to tell if somebody is a faithful or a traitor like he can tell by ct's reaction because of the skills he learned on how to tell if somebody's like sincere that he's a faithful like he's so good at this anyways then phaedra says in her confessionals that it's every trader for themselves parvati and peter talk and she says that he's gaming really hard and he's at, he asks if there's anything she can give him to change his mind basically because he's like i'm i'm pretty sure is there anything you can give me she says she's like i'm a faithful and you say you're faithful but everybody's gonna say they're faithful like like she's not giving him much but i understand where she's coming from then we see the competition. I don't know what they're called. Challenges? Like, what are they called? Missions? Maybe is what they're called. I don't know. Anyways, the mission competition thing, whatever, is them building and transporting a catapult. They have to, like, collect pieces of the catapult, then put it together, then drag the catapult to, like, the ideal spot so they can shoot the cannonball to hit the target. Crazy. Crazy. Along the course, there are shield ammo boxes, and each ammo box allow each shield box allows you an opportunity to then compete for a shield. Trishel gets the first one, then Peter gets the second one, Sheree gets the third, Sandra gets the fourth, Parvati gets the last box. They build and they build the catapult and launch the cannonball successfully. I don't have much commentary on the mission itself. It just seemed like it was horrible to experience. Kate is really funny. I, I have few, very few notes about Kate, but she's really funny throughout this episode. I'm glad they brought her back. They launch the they launch the cannonball successfully, and then those with ammo boxes need to launch their own ball to see how close they get, and whoever gets closest to the center of the target wins. And Cherie gets the shield, which is a waste. Cherie, not Cherie. Sorry. Dan is aware that he's in a bad position, but he's determined to save himself. Peter 
is certain he's going to get murdered. Like, he's like, I'm going to get murdered. Can at least be painless? They're at the castle. They're having a meal. He says this is his last meal. He's being so dramatic. But you know what? He's not wrong. Like, I get I get where he's coming from. Parvati's about to, like, walk in to join that group that's eating dinner. And Peter's like, can you give us a second? Like, he's making a few errors, in my opinion, and being a little bit too strong against the suspected traitors. If they're both traitors, you banish one. The other one can still murder you. Even the one that you haven't been accusing can murder you. It's just kind of silly. But anyways, Parvati talks with the group. Like, eventually he lets her in or he, like, goes and brings her in. And she talks with the group and they admit they're suspicious of her. And she points out that Peter is clearly aligned with a certain group of people who is, like, leading this charge. Then Dan talks to Peter and says he's been watching one person and will make his case at the round table. And he says in his confessionals that he's going to go after one of the other traitors, which is smart. When your back is up against the wall like this, like the only thing you can do is get another traitor out because then the target will be off of you and they'll be like, if like if you give them first blood, then they'll be a little bit less hungry. I don't know what that metaphor was. At the round table, Dan pleads his case that Phaedra is a traitor. He asks people to raise their hands if they've ever been accused and only a few people don't. And he's like, these are the people who I feel like have the least suspicion, so they're the most likely traitors. He points out, then he narrows it down, then then his next thing is voting patterns and whether people have voted weirdly and whether they explain their votes. He narrows it down to Phaedra and Parvati, which is kind of very suspenseful as a viewer because you're like, is he going to go after Parvati or is he going to go after Phaedra? Like, which one is he going to say? Because from a viewer's perspective, like, the obvious one seems to be Parvati because, because she already has suspicion on her. I don't know if it would have saved her, like I, I or saved him either way. I think Phaedra was a smart move because if that worked, that would have completely shifted the idea of who the traitors are because she is so not suspected that if he managed to convince them she was a traitor and then she got banished and was and they found out she was a traitor, then they could be then he could be like, see the people you think are traitors are not traitors. You know what I mean? Anyways, he points out. So he narrows it down to Phaedra and Parvati, but then specifically to Phaedra. And again, if this worked, it would have been the smartest move. People, and I even thought this when I was watching it, but I've kind of come around that like Parvati is the obvious choice because there's already suspicion on her. But because she's the obvious choice, that wouldn't really save him much time. Like some people argue, but it saves you like a day. Like it, it, but I do think long game, getting Phaedra out would have been smarter because people weren't suspecting Phaedra. Then you can start picking people who seem most obviously not like traitors. Like right now, like Dan was such an obvious traitor and even Parvati is a bit more obvious of a traitor than Phaedra that, that if he managed to convince them that Phaedra was a traitor and then Phaedra was banished, that would have been such a better outcome for him in terms of longevity. Like I understand the move even though at first I thought it was stupid. Or not stupid, but just not the smarter move. I do think long game, if he was trying to win, it was the smartest one in terms of survival. But I don't I don't think he could have done it either way. Like, I think, I don't know. Anyways, he brings up the Ekansu vote and Phaedra's reactions at breakfast being suspect. And, and he says he will never get brought up because everyone likes you. And to me, that is the most suspect thing. And it, like, that's exactly the point. I think... Parvati is too obvious of an out. If he gets Phaedra out, then he can be like, see, it's not the people you think 
are suspicious. It's not people like me. It's not even people like Parvati. It's the people you don't expect. It's the people like Peter. It's the faithfuls, the people that are obviously faithfuls. Those are the ones who are tricking you. Like, that is a smart move. It didn't work. But if it had worked, I think if he had maybe planted some seeds about Phaedra a bit sooner, you know, maybe this could have worked. But I think it came out of such left field that nobody was suspicious at all. Maybe his arguments could have been a little bit better too. Like the votes, a few people had voted rogue. It wasn't just Phaedra, the breakfast thing. Like maybe he could have honed his arguments a little bit better. But the point is, it was the right move if it had worked. Phaedra pushes back and like disproves it pretty well. She's like, I voted for Ekin Sue because of the fight with her and Janelle. And she's like, and I was comforting my friends like at breakfast, like it wasn't anything crazy. And Kate says, not my Burgalicious was problematic to you, for you. And that's the funniest quote ever. Like Kate's kind of like, this is stupid. Like, what do you mean? Her reactions at breakfast. She said, not my Burgalicious. And that's a bit much for you. She's extra. Look at her outfits. It's funny. It's, it was funny. Bergie's like, I don't think that Phaedra would murder me because long game, if she was a traitor, I'm on her side and I wasn't suspecting her. So like, why would she murder me? Which he's not wrong about. Phaedra wasn't the one pushing for that murder. Then Peter reiterates his plan and he needs to remember that it's Stan and Parvati. He's like, don't let them fool you. Don't let them fool you. Like we need to, don't let the deflection work. Then Parvati points out that there's a group forming of the faithfuls and that Peter's the leader. Phaedra's pissed at Dan. Parvati hopes the target's taken off of her. All the all all the traitors are turning against each other. Then Phaedra votes for Dan, obviously. Sandra votes for Dan, which was was sad for me because Sandra was a gamer with Dan. She was kind of in that group, so if she's turning on Dan, it's not looking good. Then Peter votes for Parvati because he thinks that they have enough votes for Dan and he doesn't want anyone to forget that Parvati's a traitor too because he's sure he'll be murdered and this will be his last round table. So he's like, I, I want the, the faithful to win. So don't forget my parting message that Parvati is also a traitor. Then John votes for Dan and he like roasts him. It's so funny. He's like, he is the silent slaughterer. I don't know. I can't do a good British accent, but it's so funny. It's so funny. John is a hoot. How did they get him on the show? Like, has he been on reality TV before? Because it's just his former member of parliament. Like, how did he get on the show? Does he have a reality TV presence? I just, I find him so funny. If, if he's like a really heinous politician who's done like really bad things, I don't know anything about him, okay? I'm not endorsing him as a political candidate, for the record. I don't know anything about his politics. I find him funny on the show. Okay, cool. Parvati votes for Dan. Kevin votes for Dan. Trishel votes for Dan. Dan votes for Phaedra. CT votes for Dan. Sheree, Sheree votes for Dan. Bergie votes for Dan. Kate votes for Dan. And MJ votes for Dan. Almost unanimous. RIP, Dan. Dan is banished. Don't text me, I'm in mourning. I loved his speech. He was so, I love him. I love him. He was graceful. He was like, I, 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 I love him. I'm sad. I'm sad that he's gone. I found out too, he said this on his Instagram live, I think, or maybe Twitch, that when, when he like left, he asked the producers if he had let them down. Like that makes me so sad. I love him. What can I say? I'm a Dan Giesling apologist. I'm sad. I'm sad to see him go. Trishelle says in her confessionals that she thinks Dan's plan was to feed them a traitor because that's the only way that he would have saved himself. So he thinks that Phaedra, so she's like, Phaedra, I think Phaedra is a traitor. And 
nobody suspects it. And I'm like, thank you, Trishel, for figuring out that plan. Like, I'm glad that he cast some suspicion. on. Like, I'm glad that even he went out, but he went out with a bang, okay? Like, he, he got suspicion on Phaedra. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I love Phaedra, but I'm glad that, that he, he left with some oomph, you know? Not oomph as in one of, not as oomph as in oomph, you know? Oomph as in... <laughs> Anyways, they all celebrate, blah, blah, blah. Trishel finds out his plan, blah, blah, blah. Then Peter, Trishel, Kevin, John, and Bergie are all aligned, and this is the group of faithful that Parvati had pointed out. Someone calls them the most faithful of the faithful. And Parvati calls them out to their face. And again, it was kind of the clicks that Janelle talked about earlier, that it was like the faithful, the gamers, and then the the housewives and Bravo people were kind of together. Um, and it's interesting because I think kind of the gamers and the housewives have kind of been picked off more so than that group of faithful. Like that alliance that Janelle was in, besides like Janelle, I think that it's pretty much intact. When Janelle like talked about the group, she mentioned Peter Trishel, John, and Bergie. And then she was like, I think Kevin's a faithful, but he's like a dumb faithful. Like that group that Janelle talked about is, besides Janelle, she's gone, but that main group is still intact. They're like the longest lasting alliance. The Bravo people, like more of the housewives have been picked off. The gamers, a lot of them are gone. While the other, you know what I mean? It's interesting how kind of like the faithful, because they're the alliance that has stayed the strongest, the rest are kind of now in their own separate group, even though they were in their other cliques before. It's interesting. Because besides Janelle, they're, they're really like the, the strongest alliance in terms of people who've been eliminated and murdered, which is interesting. Then we see Parvati and Phaedra meet at the turret and they, they talk about having rough days, rough nights. Phaedra says, if I wasn't a Christian woman, I would rip his heart out about Dan, which is funny. He was called Judas on his first season of Big Brother, if you didn't know Phaedra. Wait, also, I didn't mention this, but uh, when they're calling Dan out, they're like, you, Phaedra's like, you won Big Brother twice, and he goes, almost. I loved that. I forgot to mention that. I love Dan. What can I say? I, I love Dan. So at the turret, then they talk about how Peter is the ringleader of the alliance going against them, which is that faithful alliance, which is the strongest one that has lasted this long into the game. Then Alan crashes their meeting and tells them that they can recruit. But if they recruit, there's no murder. Parvati wants to recruit Peter, which is objectively the smartest move. I literally said, I was like, if Dan, I, I said this to my sister, like right before the round table started, I was like, if Dan goes, I want Peter to be recruited. Like, I, I think that that would <laughs> that soften the blow for me a little bit of Dan being gone is if they recruit Peter because I would love to see Peter be a traitor. Like, I think it would be so interesting. Like, I'm loving his gameplay so far and I'd love to see how that changes. Like, I don't know. That was my, I was like, that would would be the only way this episode I wouldn't be like devastated I'm it's I, I'm fine like I'm, I'm not like devastated honestly it upset me more to see people commenting on Dan's game than it did to see Dan leave because at the end of the day like I'm sad but it's like I can watch Big Brother 10 and Big Brother 14 anytime I want you know that that exists forever that is forever Dan Giesling is forever but <laughs> But it was really seeing people criticize Dan that hurt my feelings more, which is stupid. People are entitled to their incorrect opinions. It's okay. 
But anyways, Parvati wants to recruit Peter and she says, I thought it would be so fun to recruit him and turn the most blue blood faithful detective against his own posse and watch him murder his friends. Mic drop. Iconic. The episode ends with Peter walking into the room where they read like the death warrant or the recruitment letter. So he opens it. We see his reaction immediately when he opens the door and he seems kind of like obviously thinks he was murdered maybe then he reads it he seems kind of conflicted about whether he's going to accept or not but he does say i don't see how if i don't accept they don't murder me so i think it's really the only thing he can do i find it interesting that parvati did say like if i chose like she did say it could backfire but i think this the she thinks that having him on her side will work out and it could it it could go one of two ways. If he accepts, he could be like, guys, I wasn't murdered. Like, I, I don't think poverty. I think I was wrong. Like, I got Dan, but I don't think it's poverty. Like, I think she's too obvious. Something like that. Or he could be like, guys, I, I, like he could still push for poverty, get her out, and then coast his way to the end with Phaedra. I don't know. Or even coast his way to the end, and then when they're in the finale be like you know what dan said about phaedra that one time makes sense like there's no way there's not still a traitor and then kind of like sari did but not really like in a different way narrow it down so you're the final traitor like i think i think i don't know i'm hopeful for peter i really hope he accepts if he doesn't it'll be like a bummer and fun you know what's funny is if peter accepts all the traitors names will start with p which is funny. It's like the PPP loans that Ari Lang Dyke Jr. took out. Former trader. Ari Lang Dyke Jr. took out PPP loans in the pandemic. Let, let us not forget that at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. Because the pandemic's not over. But that's neither here nor there. That is where the episode of The Traders ends. And I've been talking for like, I think maybe two hours. I don't even know. This episode's going to be long. But the timestamps will be in the description. And I appreciate you tuning in. It really means a lot if you've listened to a few episodes and you like it, please rate and review. If you're not following me, please do. That helps me out a lot. So you can get notified. I upload on Sundays, but the hour sometimes depends. I don't have a consistent hour. It really is all over the place. I don't know when this will be out Sunday, but it'll be out sometime Sunday. But thank you so much for tuning in. It means a lot. And you'll hear from me next weekend. Have a great week, guys. Bye.